Yes, no, there there is no such thing as normal sickness anymore. <laughs> that is a thing of the past, my friend. It's either COVID or oh, I lie. There's still cancer, so it's COVID, cancer, or you're fine. Oh man, well then I guess I'm fine. Yeah, I guess I'm fine. Forgive mine. Can you hear my dog whining? She's uh uh-uh. uh my big scary pitbulls being a big baby. My, my are wife, such babies. <laughs> right? My wife should be home soon and she'll stop whining. But they might bark when my wife gets home. So forgive that, dear listeners. No problem. No problem. I'm getting I'm getting worried about one of my ferrets. She's really well, it's hard to tell. Their weight fluctuates with the seasons. Um, like their fur and their weight always fluctuates, but my youngest, she lost, check it out. You see that? Her little tail? Yep. She lost all the fur on her tail. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, which, which is funny that I just said that, which it's either completely normal or it's adrenal cancer. Wow, man. Yeah. Well, hopefully normal is the... <sighs> yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm, because mm, the other thing is um, she feels like she's, she's dropping weight. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, they're, they're getting, they're getting close to their life expectancy anyway, or their, their, I think this year is the bottom end of their life expectancy. So really probably all the years past this one are going to be like land. Yeah. Like just extra seven to 10, I think is, is their average. Wow. Right on. Hmm. I just saw they found black footed ferrets in the U S for the first time in, I don't know, decades. Just like out in the like wild. In the like, wild. Yeah. Nice. Out in the wild. Just like doing ferret stuff. That's doing cool. ferret shit. Hell That's yeah. like, somebody somebody said one time, like, where the fuck are gerbils in the real world? <laughs> like, what do they do? Right. <laughs> and that good was a question. good point. That was a good <clears throat> question. Yeah, gerbils. Well, dude, get this. We don't <clears throat> excuse me. We don't have um ferrets, but my wife, she works for um excuse me barks which is baltimore animal rescue and care shelter okay and they're like one of the larger animal shelters on the east coast the largest in maryland and they don't just get cats and dogs in they get all sorts of stuff and recently they found a hedgehog in a park in baltimore city and so like animal control brought it in and then noah brought it home so now we have a pet hedgehog i i hear that they are dicks Mm. yeah uh, yeah her name's huckleberry and she's like very pissy yep um yep that's what i hear yeah but she's she's (laughs) so cute though yeah very adorable and like when we pull her out and she runs around and stuff it's cool but like she just like will hiss at you and like yep basically just be like fuck off yes (laughs) yes is there general consensus this will be this will be a good random. This is Josh Patterson, you know, my best pod friend, uh, host of Rethinking Faith, former pastor, current mm-hmm. alcohol addiction enabler. Um, <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> like to an extreme, right? Because I blew. So like- <laughs> exactly. You are. You're pretty much a a, a, a cocaine processor. Like yeah, I am much the what problem. You do. Base, I'm basically might as well be. Um, so as far as original intention of creation, okay, do you think God made predator and prey animals? Like, has that always been the case? Like, is, is nature as we see it today how it was originally created? Oh man, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think think if uh, i think if evolution is real which i'm inclined to believe that it is then animals have just kind of 
evolved into what they are now. Um, and it appears that like when the Bible is written, they talked about animals as if they were like predators and such. Right. Cause then they have right. like the nice juxtapositions where it's like the lion will lay down with the lamb and right. things like that. Um, well, and to interrupt annoyingly, when you say evolution, uh, define that for me. Uh, and I'm guessing, I think you had told me to read some NT right. And that was the first like Christian evolutionist that he said he was talking about like Adam and Eve, I think, or humanity. And his explanation was the first time I was like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. But what do you mean by evolution? Do you mean that God created single celled amoebas and we evolved to where we are today or God created original, um, genus I'm, i don't want to try to butcher the biological terms to sound smart so like god yeah. created a squirrel and then that evolved into all the squirrels we have today that sort of thing or what are you talking yeah so for me like i'll i will just because i mean i'm no expert on the on this topic either but i would i would say that like god is the the cause of um the evolutionary process that got us to where we are today. So if that was started with a big bang, you know, big bang cosmology. Um, and then, you know, the universe has been rapidly expanding and things began to evolve and develop over time. Um, like I'm comfortable with that. I would just assert that like, it didn't happen randomly, but God is the, uh, the reason for it happening. And not just as like a standoffish, like snap my fingers and here's a big bang, but rather God is intimately involved and currently still involved in the, you know, ongoing process of uh, whatever it is that's happening. Cause like the universe is still expanding, right? Um, right. Things are still like creation. If we, you know, take creation to mean the cosmos and, and all that, then the universe is still expanding, which means creation's not finished. It's still in process. It's still going somewhere. Um, and I think God is intimately involved uh, in that process. So when I talk about ev evolution, I'm fine with just like, you know, whatever um, the agreed upon consensus is. I mean, I don't think it's like people came from monkeys, which I don't think anyone okay. really teaches that anyway. I think that's like a misconception, but um, yeah. I still think, I still think, hmm, it's been a while since, and this is not at all. Uh, I, I asked Josh on to talk about revelation and prophecy, um, but I also heavily preface that we will probably go all over the place uh, or maybe fun. i didn't it was implied <laughs> that's what i thought in the back of my mind so i haven't revisited this thought in a while uh most certainly through my entire life i i believed that uh animals and humans were at at some point created as they were that's so funny i guess mm -hmm. i never mm -hmm. thought this shit through okay so what would that look like 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 god literally uh have you ever seen that movie hollow man with kevin bacon uh oh okay yeah well, it's, it's about the invisible man to the people that oh, have cool. seen it and uh it's an injection so they do it to this gorilla and first his skin disappears then his muscles then his bones then his nervous system so it's it, he kind of like materializes and I, so, okay, is that what it would have looked like? Or did God just like, did we just, everything just appear? Oh, that's a good question. So I don't know. <laughs> I do think, I think humanity, I am by no means a young earth creationist. I think the earth is old. I think humanity is much, much younger. Well, don't they say humanity's like 200,000 years old, something like that? Yeah, we're... I guess that could be right. I yeah. feel like humanity's much younger than we think. Um, the Earth could be very old. Like, that's fine. I don't, that has no bearing on anything whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But as far as, like, our world of animals and humans, I, I just I have always thought, and I guess I still believe that it's, it's younger than we think it was. I, I do believe in 
the cat I, I believe in like prehistory and the younger dryas event um extinction event that was probably the flood or had something to do with the flood but basically that there was an advanced human civilization in prehistory that was wiped out that we completely forgot about except for remnants who then rebuilt societies sometimes in the skeletal remains of the societies before them like the pyramids and the egyptians like those were inherited um monuments and stuff like the um the dynasties they didn't they don't claim uh that they made them right they kind of inherited that stuff so don't know where i was going with that and now i'm getting a little joe rogany but I think N.T. Wright said that at some point in the evolutionary line, God placed a soul into the human. And, and that, I think that was his idea. I think that was in Surprise by Scripture, where he might have just been pontificating about what Adam and Eve could have been because it you know it seems to be clear that like there was a first and there has to be a first for everything right but what could that have looked like could it have been that okay evolution is doing its thing and when it reached the proper point that's when God breathed his soul into it or his spirit into it shit man I don't know but then I I guess I also always used to think that uh, no animals ate each other because dude, it is, uh, do you know the nature is metal Instagram account? Uh, I think so. It sounds vaguely familiar. I've at least seen, uh, and it's a subreddit too. Yeah. Okay. It's basically just like nature at its gnarliest, like right. Pregnant antelopes ejecting their baby to be eaten by the cheetah that's chasing it for it to survive like animals just being eaten a lot like nature is is evil yo or seemingly it is it is super evil and so it's like wait a minute that doesn't seem to align with my idea of god um so i guess i just assumed that part of the fall was like literally i think this is what i used to think was that like all of a sudden lions grew teeth you know what i mean or like everything became this thing um but i think it was someone on dan dan coke's podcast he asked that question specifically they didn't really answer it specifically but the things she said i i agreed on i think a lot of it has to do with anthropomorphizing my idea of suffering onto animals when it's like okay maybe it's and, and i've actually there's been um i've been reading stuff about like what happens to animals and humans uh when they're being eaten or something horrible and like there is this famous um it wasn't rudyard kipling but there was a famous account of some uh, Christian naturalist who got mauled by um, a lion in Africa. And he basically wrote about it, how like the entire experience, he felt no pain. He felt this extreme sense of calm. He remembers it all, but it was like he was watching it from third person. And he, and he, he called it like a blessed gift of the father that in that situation it was painless and he was almost like high kind of is the way he described it so maybe there are just like built-in things like that like this is the way it is but um but animals don't process pain the same way i don't know maybe i should revisit creation and like what what i think god's Oh, cause that's a, that thought screws me up too. Cause when I say God's intended purpose, I mean, so I guess what like currently where we're at now, this whole thing is his intended purpose because it is what is shit, man. Pass the yeah. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I think it's, um, 
it's interesting because like all of this so what what we're doing is we're theologizing about creation like we're trying to give reason rhyme or reason to things um which is interesting because like the the like at least in my opinion the like the bible isn't really doing that when it talks about creation and stuff like i don't think i think the kind of questions we're asking are important and they're the kind of questions that i'm interested in as well uh but like when i talk to my friend jace he's a bible scholar old testament uh like biblical hermeneutics kind of dude phd like he'd be like dude like that's fine to ask that question but like the bible doesn't care about that like it, that's not the question the bible's asking um and so in like genesis for example with the creation story i'm not sure that's I, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure, actually, that Genesis isn't trying to give us like a here's a video camera footage of what happened. Um, but because like, especially, I mean, you can just tell by how it's written, like Genesis, the way God creates the earth and sets things up. Um, God is creating a temple. It is using very heavily, heavily like temple language. And so God is what we're supposed to see in Genesis is God creating a temple and I mean, again, it uses the same language that is then used to describe like how to build a temple, um, you know, later on in the Old Testament, God is creating a temple where God will dwell with humans. Like that's what Genesis is communicating in the creation narratives. It's beautiful. Um, it's really cool. Wait, it's, wait, it's, wait. It's poetic. Yeah. Wait. So he's saying um, the, the author is saying that the earth itself is a temple wherein god okay okay so god the story is god is making a place where he and his creation humans can just kick it and chill old school that's yeah that's the <sighs> that's the imagery given it's it's very poetic and like the the genesis creation narrative is is very similar to a lot of other ancient near eastern creation narratives but what's unique about it is that um, God doesn't create violently in the Hebrew scriptures, which is cool because all the other ancient Near Eastern stuff is like really brutal. Like there are these two gods and they were fighting and the one God like cut the other God in half and spilled her entrails and then like made the earth out of that. Like, wow, that's beautiful. Thanks guys. Or like whatever. So, but here, like we don't see that. Like in Genesis, we don't have a violent God killing other gods at war but rather just this one god you know and, and honestly the it depicts god bringing order to chaos like it doesn't say in the beginning god created something out of nothing it talks about like the spirit was hovering over the the deep the abyss the dark waters of chaos basically and then we see god bringing order to chaos which is then like a theme that is continuously picked up and carried out throughout the rest of the old testament you see um chaos narratives coming up chaos like basically like decreation stories and then god restores order chaos like happens and then god restores order it's like a common theme that goes and goes and goes and so like genesis is doing a similar thing it's telling a chaos story and depicting yahweh as um the god who brings order to chaos um so like genesis is highly stylized it's very poetic um it's like a very beautiful book. Like the authors of Genesis were brilliant <laughs> with what they're doing. Um, so like, I think to an, a certain extent, we can start asking questions that are like, in, that they're important, but also like we can sometimes miss the point. Like, I think, for example, if we ask, oh, well, like, how is there a snake talking in the garden? be like well it doesn't matter because that's not the point of the story parcel tongue duh yeah right parcel tongue exactly um or like i think asking the question uh now forgive me because this might seem radical but i i feel like asking the question was adam and eve a real person i don't or were they real people i don't think the bible was asking that question either i think there's implications theologically for if adam and eve were real people but i don't think that's the question that matters um because even, I mean, what we see with that is like Adam is a representative, a stand-in for Israel. Like this is a common uh, thing that Old Testament scholars talk about. Like Adam literally is symbolic of Israel. And then you have these other symbolic figures that come along too, right? Like Moses and Abraham. And then Jesus is painted as the ultimate Adam later on in the New Testament, where the New Testament authors grab all these 
ancient Hebrew stories. And then they say, oh, all of this stuff was actually just like Jesus. Like um, they set Jesus up as like a new Moses, right? In Matthew, when uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus like climbs up a mountain and people are gathered and he, you know, gives them these new commandments. The authors are trying to get you to see Jesus as the new Moses is like, you see what I'm saying? It's like everything is heavily stylized on purpose. Um, And when we start taking things too literally then we actually can end up missing the point that the authors are trying to communicate with us does that make sense yeah i rambled a lot a bunch of random shit no (laughs) and it makes me it just makes me mad um it makes me mad like why uh, why can't i go to a place on sunday and learn this um yes and kind of what you're saying about that with my friend jace today actually and kind of what you're saying is like it would be like Harry people reading Harry Potter 400 years from now and trying to find archaeological evidence of Hogwarts. Um, oh, yeah. that's a little, that's a little different. That's a right. little different. It, um, I mean, you it, can do it, that for any fiction story. I mean, right. um, no, works. yes. I, I just think there's still history contained. Yes, just, I do too. Because I, yeah. because, and that may be part of the, the, even next level genius of the writing because i believe and this is this is kind of just a blanket process of thought that all these i believe all myth and ancient stories that are cross-cultural cross-generational uh but independent of each other that end up telling roughly the same story i think that is because it actually happened in some form or fashion. Uh, I, I don't think things like that are just are just made up. It that to me is much more of a stretch. So I do think the the events recorded in Genesis and in other myths. I think yes, some of that did happen. However, it looked like. I also wanted to bring this up because this was just a weird thing. My buddy uh, John sent me a TikTok of some. Uh, Bible scholar, Old Testament scholar saying that up until, I don't know, like 800 um, BC or AD that Jewish people believed and accepted that Yahweh had a wife and that that was like retconned. Have you heard anything about that? No, that's interesting, though. I have not heard that. <laughs> I was hoping you did, because I immediately wanted to be like, that's bullshit. Uh, but I know nothing about it. And if you know nothing about it, that's kind of like you you would think you would have heard something about it. Yeah, I don't I don't know anything about that. I mean, I'm no expert on like, you know, ancient Jewish teachings. But um, I mean, it seems I, I don't know. I feel like that could be. I mean, possibly true, but it's also I mean, it's difficult, too, because there's not like you know, like I, when I used to teach students, they'd be like, oh, but like, what's, what is the Jewish teaching on this? Or what is like the Jewish understanding of that? They'd be like, well, that's like asking what's the Christian understanding of this? There's many, <laughs> like there's, ah, uh, yes. you know, there's a joke. There's a common joke that like, if you put three rabbis in a room and you ask them a question, you'll get five different answers. Yeah. It's so like stuff. asking like, what's the one Jewish thing um, is like a, like a, and I don't want to call it a stupid question, but it's like silly because it's like, well, there's not just one, but yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't heard that. That doesn't mean it's not like a thing. Um, why so why don't you, how about bear with me? Yeah. Uh, church and other drugs, the church starring Josh Patterson teaching <laughs> <laughs> every Sunday, teaching the Bible. Good grief. Yeah. So this actually did turn out to be an interesting segue because well, we're talking about the beginning of things. And now uh, let's talk about the end of all things. <laughs> I did that on purpose. You see? Yeah. Look at that. Um, okay. I guess I'll start with, so I had a, a gentleman on the podcast who was plugging his forthcoming podcast that he's making with his pastor, um, teaching about revelation and it just made me want to dive deeper into it um revelation is probably the thing 
that this podcast has changed my belief on the most um, because of people like uh, Brian Gadawa was really seemingly very learned in this subject and he wrote um, fiction books about it and he introduced to me the idea that revelation was really about the destruction of the temple in 70 ad um and that so and he kind of pointed out how you know 666 was nero caesar um literally telling people to run for the hills because this is coming soon you know you need to get out of there this is literally like this is literally going to happen soon and so i was like oh wow that's super interesting and then a couple of months back, I think someone told me that, well, no, but it was written in 72 AD. You know, so I was like, oh, well, that's okay. That's that throws a wrench in that. I don't know how, how true that is. But it, it, I, and then going back to my late teens, early 20s, um, that time frame, I, I was one of the people that was mining and digging revelation trying to figure out the symbolism and trying to uh you know thinking that of course like we are living in the end times and and this is it and uh reading left behind which was a gr like for all the knocks it gets that, that was a great book series like i loved it that shit was super interesting especially as like a young Christian who you didn't have to feel bad about reading it. Right. It was just, you know, that's kind of our fantasy, uh, you know, uh, it was like the Christian version of a zombie apocalypse. There we go. That's, that's what that was. So I was just curious to hear what you got on the subject. Um, what, what is going on with that book? Yeah. So the, whenever, I've talked about revelation before. I think it's always helpful first to, and I think this is helpful when we talk about any book of the Bible. Um, it's helpful first to like identify what genre the book is that way. Um, Cause that's going to tell us how to read it, right? Like you would read a poem differently than you would prose discourse or um, like a history text versus like, you know, a Dr. Seuss book, you're going to read them differently. And so Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation is um, within the category of apocalyptic genre. That's the genre is apocalyptic. And um, that word apocalyptic can be really scary because we, um, us good English speakers with all of our fun apocalyptic movies, associate the word apocalypse with the end of the world. Um, that's not what the word apocalypse means, though. The word apocalyptic literally just means to reveal and that's actually where the name revelation comes from the book of revelation is revealing something right um and so apocalypse means to reveal so it's not necessarily a scary thing um you know you could say and i think this is actually perhaps a particularly good example that covid19 the pandemic um has been apocalyptic in that it's revealed a whole bunch of stuff right things are significantly different uh, now than pre-COVID. People learned that like working from home is actually a thing that might work or like, you know, whatever. You can name a whole bunch of things. So apocalypse is revealing. So that's really helpful. Um, and then one of the best metaphors that I've ever been given uh, actually comes from a dude called Greg Boyd. And when he teaches on Revelation, one of the things he likes to do first is put up a, a painting um, it's by Pablo Picasso. If you have your uh, your Google available for you, Google uh, Guernica, G-U-E-R-N-I-C-A, Guernica. And then it should come up. It's a Pablo Picasso painting. It's in black and white. So, yeah, for your listeners, if you're like not driving or you can look at it safely, like just look at it real quick. You don't have to stare at it, but. Um, basically, this painting, Guernica, this is a famous painting of the town of Guernica. Um, and that town was actually bombed by the Nazis in like 1942. And so if you're looking at this picture, you can see like it's a historical painting depicting his, a historical event, but not in a literal way. Right. 
Like if you actually were to look up a photograph of Guernica after it was bombed, it is not going to look like that painting, right? Like that painting doesn't even look anything close to that. So if we start asking questions of that painting, hold on, I'm going to pull it up as well. Guernica. Um, if I started, you know, I was looking at this painting with you, uh, Jed, and I was like, all right, let's see. Um, I wonder like, okay, this, uh, you know, guy down here in the bottom left, it looks like, you know, his head is cut off or something like, but what about this horse thing? I wonder how old this horse is or this ghost, like wispy looking thing over here. I wonder, is that supposed to be like a ghost or like, what is this thing? If I were to basically start asking literal questions about this, like, oh, like, so this bull, where did this bull come from when things were bombed? They're like, what is going on here with the sun? And why does it look like an eyeball? Uh, like, I wonder what's up with this dude the, over the here. The arm and the broken sword. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's it's a heavily, heavily symbolic painting. And it's it's actually designed for it to make you feel a certain kind of way, right? Um, like it's supposed to have an impact on you. Um, so if you just like kind of stare at it, it's going to make you, like I say, feel a certain kind of way. Um, and so like if Picasso in this case wanted to do a literal interpretation, he would have just taken a photograph, but it would not have been the same as this painting. Right. And it's the same with apocalyptic literature. If you're going to analyze it, literally, you're going to miss the, the, the point completely. Right. Um, so like apocalyptic literature, it, it's meant to be felt, um, which is why, like in the book of Revelation, like in the very beginning, uh, the writer, John, says to read this book out loud for people to hear. Right. Because um, at the time, again, most people couldn't they would have not been able to read. Um, so it would have been read aloud to a group of like 20 or 30 people. And so you would get like a probably like a different impression of the book if I were to just read it out loud to you all at once. Right. And then if you sat down and picked it apart verse by verse, you know, trying to connect this to current events or whatever, it would be weird. Um, but the actual like presentation matters. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So like all of that is just to couch the conversation <laughs> and like, what is the book of revelation trying to do and communicate? And so for me, I am of the opinion that the book of revelation is a critique of the Roman empire. Um, and it's uh, a deep warning to um, Christians to stop messing around with empire that the church and empire should not mix <laughs> that there those things are incompatible and by continuing to mess with the empire it will lead to destruction that's basically the gist so like you see in revelation the whore of babylon right babylon is just a stand-in for the roman empire and so it's it's telling them like pull out <laughs> is with the language that it uses very uh, like, grotesque wow. and inappropriate but it says pull out of the whore of babylon um like stop getting in bed with empire like that i think is the main theme and message of the book of revelation and then it paints towards the end of revelation though you get this beautiful retelling i mean the bible ends the same way it begins in the garden of eden except now you have this beautiful garden city um, the restoration and redemption of all things, heaven and earth coming together. Um, whereas a lot of people, or at least I don't even want to say a lot of people, people within the tradition that you and I grew up in uh, depict Revelation as this book that talks about the earth being destroyed and we're going to float up into the sky and like all this kind of stuff. When it's the exact opposite, it's actually the restoration and redemption of creation. It's heaven and earth coming together again. It's, it's the Garden of Eden being restored, but now it's like this massive city. Um, it's really a hopeful book. Yeah. And I, I guess because, you know, and, and I think the, the reason for that is because there are there there are those few verses of, of the literal gathering of the armies of the kings of men and meeting on the battlefield, which they named um, the Valley of Megiddo or whatever. And then like the fire comes down, destroys it all. So it like it seems 
it seems to be all over the place with with like that that's why it's hard to get a a, a bead on it because it, it seems to be taught it does and um is it in revelation where it says like or where um one man will be two men will be plowing the field and one will be taken and one like the remnants or whatever is that in revelation or is that in like peter or something uh, I want to say it's not in Revelation, but I could yeah, be wrong. Yeah, that doesn't sound like um, it. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but, but I guess mainly the um, the battle that is in Revelation, which... Which never actually happens. They prepare for a war and then it... There, right. there's I no remember getting so pissed happens. about yeah. that. <laughs> like, literally, as a... As a uh, <laughs> As a kid being like, all right, so there's going to be some giant final battle. Uh, and then it doesn't happen. Sort of like Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, when they get those thousand ship armada to make the most bullshit space fight I've ever seen in my entire life, dude. God. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And like, also what's interesting too about revelation is how people often, uh, will use revelation to justify violence um, because they'll be like, Oh, like, for example, it was uh, Mark Driscoll who basically said like, I need the Jesus of revelation because I don't want that like fairy hippie Jesus, because I don't want to worship a God that I can beat up. And so like, he talks about this Jesus in revelation with a sword and a vengeance and da, 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 da. But if you actually read the book of revelation, Jesus isn't in that book, like kicking ass. <laughs> uh, Jesus is said to have a sword. Um, but if it, if you read it, it says the sword is coming out of his mouth. Um, I don't think Jesus is fighting with his teeth, but rather the sword is his word. Um, and it does say Jesus is in robes that are drenched in blood. Um, and some people will be like, well, it must be the blood of his enemies. But again, if you remember, it's Jesus. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. The the blood on Jesus's robes are is Jesus's own blood. Um, and I mean, oh. even there's a bit in Revelation where like the writer is saying that like, oh, uh, I heard the mighty roar of a lion, and when I looked up to see, you know, this badass depiction of God, this mighty lion, what I actually saw was a slaughtered lamb. Like that's what happened so it's not again it's like not this depiction of like this violent war badass you know jesus <laughs> but rather just the just the opposite it, yeah that it, i mean yeah yeah and i'm just there is i i'd have to i, I really am probably gonna go on a deep dive in this uh soon here because i had forgotten all about like the um of course, there's the Antichrist. That's the other thing, which, but that could very easily be just, I mean, anything, anything that is Antichrist, you know, but I yeah. guess it, it does seem to paint this picture of like a singular person that is sort of uniting mankind. And I guess I would have to go. So what do you think, though, about that theory that like it was it was essentially retelling the destruction of of Jerusalem, like by the Romans? Do you think yeah. that holds holds water or is that just one explanation or is it also which I it was suggested to me that it is a book of history and prophecy where like it was, it's a prophecy that has been fulfilled and yet will also be fulfilled. Yeah. That's a, oh, I'm trying to remember. I used to know the technical word. For there that. is Exactly. There is a um, word for that. And I was trying to think of it last time. Yeah. And that actually, let me see. Um, yeah, that, so this like, honestly, like this is, territory that i used to be like heavily into and like i haven't spent too much time with it as of recent um but like i've done teaching series and such on it before i'm trying to see there's like revelation verses da, da, da. oh there's the mark driscoll quote forget that guy um yeah i don't see it but that is there is a word for that um 
that it's like yeah a little bit of both but and i and i mean i think that's oh preterist no yeah so there yeah there's preterism there's partial preterism um yeah so that you're right so yes preterists i think believe which sounds awful preterist is an awful word (laughs) you're such a preterist no i'm not right yeah sounds like an insult like like dispensationalist which (laughs) that so again that's another word that's important in this conversation because when we're talking about reading revelation as like this whole like the left behind kind of vibe that is that comes very specifically from like a dispensationalist theological perspective which is what does that word mean uh, basically that the Bible is broken up into different dispensations or eras and that God acts and behaves differently in different okay. dispensations. Okay. And so that's the idea. It's relatively new. It's uh, unique to American evangelical Christianity. Um, and that's where you get that from. And then that's also where like you get rapture theology comes out right. of dispensationalism Um or at least it's heavily connected to it. I don't know if it's ac- actually accurate to say it comes out of it. Um, but yeah, like I, and this will show my hands a little bit too. Like, I don't believe in the rapture. I don't think that's a biblical concept. Um, like, I just, I just don't, I don't think it's there. Um, it's a relatively new idea that John Nelson Darby presented. Um, yeah. And it's just, I don't, it's a minority held position that again is unique uh, almost exclusively to white Western American evangelicalism because it centers America. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And all sorts do, of stuff. Do you believe though, on, on just a personal level, do you believe in an end of days, like a, 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 a moment in time in which Jesus returns and ends this reality like it's yeah the second coming the second coming. like a second coming of jesus yeah yes so i would say i believe in a second coming of jesus um but that's i think that's different than the rapture um right uh, yeah but well, also too like that aren't they yeah. one of the, no yeah because the the rapture is like the spaceman getting ejected up into the sky and that's and that's supposed to come have, like, before the tribulation then you have these tribulations and blah 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 and all this kind of stuff yeah where things are destroyed and this and that yeah i think all of that is malarkey basically yeah <laughs> malarkey I, d- I did get what about the concepts of uh millennia millennialism oh, gosh yeah millennialism so there's Thank pre-millennialism you. and post-millennialism and they're again they're both um like that has to do with the millennial reign of christ to those that don't know yep Uh, so i hold a position called amillennialism (laughs) yeah which is i basically that neither pre or post are right because there won't be a millennial (laughs) it's not and and that's not the purpose so why do you think that terminology was placed there the pre and post no just because isn't the millennial reign is is that not from scripture or is that completely made up? I I thought it was. Yeah, like um yeah, the, but the again, thousand year reign, right? But or, again, but you... when we read Revelation and we acknowledge that it's apocalyptic literature, gotcha. It's, it's they don't a mean one thousand book. Yeah, numbers gotcha. mean something. And I so I'm not a Revelation expert. I have a friend who is. I could connect you to, um, Dr. Rob Dalrymple. He's a fantastic human being and he could answer all of these kind of questions <laughs> oh man intelligence he's a revelation scholar like that is oh his job. dude hook me up yeah let me make a note of that to connect you guys yes rob dalrymple ah uh, yes who has no connection by the way to dalrymple from christianity today oh okay oh side note like since you introduced me uh every sunday i've been watching greg boyd sermons nice yeah Craig boyd's a cool dude gosh dude he's so good he is uh and i actually i showed it to one of my one of my clients uh is struggling with the concept of god and um just god in general and i actually uh sent them his sermon uh why god where he just goes through there's like it's non-scripture based he just goes through um 
the three like three big arguments like the fine-tuning of the universe da, 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 da. it's it was super super compelling nice yeah greg greg is awesome um yeah greg is awesome for sure he's like like genuinely a super nice guy um have you talked yeah. to him oh yeah yeah i so i got connected with greg I've had him on the podcast before, but I got connected to Greg through this thing called Jesus Collective. Um, And so, like, I was an active member of their theology circle. We were working on some projects, like a writing project. Um, And like I like I wrote an article with Greg Boyd at one point. Um, Wow. A few others. Yeah. Like Greg is a super cool dude. Very down to earth. Very normal. Um, Lots of fun. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) so so i guess so how could we how could we wrap this in a bow well i think one thing that's an interesting that i'd want to make a distinction of or about at least or at least bring this into the conversation um is prophecy because prophetic literature and apocalyptic literature are different um like completely different like a po- so okay. apocalyptic literature. Oh, that's a big distinction. Okay. It's a huge distinction. Apocalyptic literature is not that there weren't elements of it around prior, but like the genre where people started writing in the genre of apocalyptic literature is a second temple phenomenon. So like that's closer to the time of Jesus, who was a second temple Jew. Right. Okay. Um, and so that's why, for example, the book of Daniel, which has some apocalyptic texts, people will date the book of Daniel much later, closer to second temple Judaism, because it's writing in apocalyptic genre, which we know is a second temple genre. Does that make sense? It does. So apocalypse and prophet is different. Um, And so when we talk about the prophets within the pages of scripture, um, it's really important first to recognize what they're not. Biblical prophets are not fortune tellers. They're not, like crystal ball, like wizard of Oz type people. Um, That's not the understanding of biblical prophets. Basically what a biblical prophet is, is they are somebody who had a radical encounter uh, with the presence of God and then was commissioned to basically speak as one of God's representatives. So like they're a representative and they're a representative to a specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. And mostly what Old Testament prophets did was they would talk about um, the mutual partnership or the Bible calls it a covenant, right? The mutual partnership that Israel and God created together. And what they would do is the prophets would remind them, like would remind Israel, like, yo, y'all are tripping. You're not keeping your the terms and conditions that you signed on the Apple page. You're not keeping them. <laughs> and so... Um, And then it would remind them, like, encourage them, like, you guys have to be faithful because right now you're not. And then they would, so they would make, remind them of the covenant, accuse them of breaking it. And then they would say, here are the consequences. Here's what's going to happen if you continue in your ways, right? So then they would call the people to repentance. And when the people didn't repent, which is what happens most of the time, um, there are consequences and that's what the old Testament prophets call the day of the Lord. Right. If you've heard that, that word before, and basically the day of the Lord is just um, it, it, it uses cosmic imagery to describe local events, like real historical things. Um, And basically the day of the Lord is like how justice would be brought to uh, Israel or like the other violent nations around them or whoever, the prophet was speaking about. So for example, in the book of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah describes the exile um, as like an undoing of creation, like a decreation story. And then like Isaiah, Isaiah describes the downfall of Babylon as the destruction of the cosmos. Oh, And Mm. so like biblical prophets, and then Also, when they're not using cosmic language, they're just telling you what's going to happen. Like, they'll be like, hey, guys, if you don't stop fucking around, the Assyrians are going to come in here and they're going to kill all of you. And then guess what? The Assyrians come in and they kill everybody. (laughs) Right. Like the the prophets were like this, this like minority group 
that like people like wrote off so much and ignored them and but they were like writing almost like resistance literature like guys get you know get your shit together um and then like this you see some things come true so they're it's it's more so like a like a prophetic warning a word from god again to a specific people at a specific place for a specific reason less than let me cast the future and you know look into my crystal ball so do you what? see that distinction i do where you gonna that? uh where you gonna, i didn't want to if you're gonna continue i don't want to cut you off i know you're good i was just saying like is that helpful like that distinction? yes like, yeah it is and I, I never fortune teller that actually and that's a big understanding that revelation wasn't written as prophetic literature is a mm-hmm. huge massive distinction it's apocalyptic um, literature yeah what, what i was gonna say though what about do you think the age of prophecy is over or does god still um and this will have to be uh the last thing we can discuss does he still do that today in your yeah. opinion because we can't know right in my opinion i think there are prophetic voices today or there are people who speak uh into the prophetic tradition um hmm. I think you see this in a lot of, and again, I'm using the, that word in a biblical sense, not in the fortune teller sense. When you have people, for example, like Jamar Tisby, the guy who wrote The Color of Compromise and How to Fight Racism, uh, like he, I would say, is speaking with a prophetic voice <laughs> into a situation. Um, Greg Boyd, the book Myth of a Christian Nation, Greg Boyd is speaking prophetically to American Christians and using language from the Bible to do so guys, Christian nationalism is a really bad idea. Don't mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> that is a prophetic speaking. It's a word from God to God's people about a real thing. And if uh, we keep fucking around with Christian nationalism, there's going to be consequences. And I think right now we are seeing some of the consequences of Christian nationalism in real time. hundred percent The kind of stuff that people like Greg Boyd, and the Shane Claiborne's of the world have been saying for a while. So right. they're speaking prophetically, not that they're telling the future, but they're like, come on, guys. You know? Oh, that's that is actually yeah. very helpful. That's a yeah. I, so they're speaking prophetically. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Always learning something, man. Yeah. Um, I, can I can I throw one more yeah, crazy twist? One more crazy twist. So what's really interesting though. And this will really now just break all the categories of of the prophets in the Bible is what like New Testament authors do with the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, for example, the famous passage about like, oh, the the prince of peace and, you know, born of a virgin, da, 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 all that kind of stuff that then in the New Testament, they're like, that was about Jesus. Well, actually, no, it's not. In the very next chapter, it says, like, here's the baby. The baby was born. It, you know, the name is listed and it's a Hebrew name and I'm going to butcher it if I try to say it. But like it's there. So the the what we see happening is the New Testament authors go in and they grab these Old Testament prophets and then they uh, change what they mean or they extend the time of of the length of prophecies or they reinterpret these prophecies and then apply them to their current situation. Um, but, but, yeah, that's crazy. That happens constantly. Wait. And are you saying they shouldn't have done that? No, I'm saying that's what they do. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So, like. So, what's the implication of that? I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> oh, but they're taking, shit. They're taking, like, the book of Isaiah, for example. When it was written, was not about Jesus. But the New Testament authors take the book, change its original meaning, and say, now it is about Jesus. They're using their scriptures theologizing them changing their meaning and saying now they're about jesus and they're doing that with prophetic okay are you back cool yeah you cut off they're doing it in prophetic language voice yeah uh I don't know. I was something. <laughs> but yeah, the New Testament authors, that's what they're doing. And then they're using it to speak prophetically, but they're changing the meaning of the text, um, which I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, it's fun. 
like, I mean, Jesus does that. Like Jesus takes passages that aren't about him and says, these are about me. (laughs) Oh, Um, that is a whole massive other thing. Good grief. I don't know. Yeah. So, but it it has to say something about prophetic text, right? Or about apocalyptic literature and what we should or shouldn't do about them or what the text themselves are trying to do. I think maybe that's the greater point to make. Yeah. Um, is what are the texts trying to do? What are they trying to, to say? Um, what did the text, what did it like? Because there's a difference between what the Bible meant versus what it means. Like, what did it, mm. what did it, when it was written, what was meant by the author? And then what does that mean for us today? So meant and means are different. Right. And like the New Testament authors get all crazy and the Old Testament authors do it too. They all pull from each other and which this is why I think the Bible is amazing because it's this book written by like hundreds of different people over thousands of years and it's all interconnected and weaved together and cross-referenced and it's insane. Like, yeah. And it all somehow works together and tells this overarching story that leads to Jesus. That seems pretty cool to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that seems inspired. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> right? absolutely. And that's probably my biggest, my biggest pet peeve, especially on websites like Reddit and Imager are people that would just say like, the Bible is just this like fairy tale nonsense. It's like, even like, dude, even if it's not, even if you don't believe it to be true, it is an incredible piece of literature. Like you are out of your mind if you just dismiss it as a book of no dude like you're talking about definitely top three literary works in human history so like shut your mouth dude right next to the art of the deal and no i'm just kidding yeah exactly 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 (laughs) and uh Uh, tim tebow's biography uh josh thanks for uh coming on in short notice and indulging my series of questions again man uh yeah absolutely anytime it's fun give uh give josh a write a review follow listen subscribe to rethinking faith and uh until next time buddy peace oh send me an email church and other drugs at gmail.com Get you some some swag for Christmas at storefrontier.com slash church and other drugs and patreon.com slash church and other drugs for bonus episodes.